wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Alright guys, welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio here today for October 26, 2017. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Super special edition of Wrestle Rant Radio on tap today. Talking all things TLC with a returning co-host of mine from Wrestle Rant Radio's past. An expertise on all things wrestling and overall just an awesome dude, Tommy Sharp. Tommy Sharp, how you doing, brother? Sorry for the delay, Tommy Sharp here. How's it going, Grand GFM Matthews? Good to be on the line. What's going on, brother? Long time no talk. How you been? Dude, I am feeling A-OK. This has been a blockbuster week of events. Feels like a couple of weeks leading up to all the things going on, but man, I am stoked right now feeling good about everything going on how about yourself doing great like you said could not have picked a better week to wrestle rant coming off a tlc raw smackdown survivor series coming up Uh, what are your biggest takeaways coming away from the uh, coming away from the week tommy well i mean if we're talking about tlc specifically obviously one of the biggest more meta takeaways from everything is how the WWE adapts and changes with some of the more physical things that go on within the business of working with human beings. So to see changes like Roman Reigns exit the TLC match and Kurt Angle enter the match, and then to have Kurt Angle be some type of honorary SHIELD member for the evening, I mean, some of these have larger implications than we've seen the WWE gravitate toward in the past. This was like a very surprising way to introduce some new, fresh like energy into the system that they have going on right now, especially for a match like TLC, which, I mean, every single year, how do you continue to make a tables, ladders, and chairs match stand out? And I really thought it was going to be difficult. I mean, having the Shield in there is one thing. You know, they, they have a total plan, but having Kurt Angle be part of that mix really just made it a must-watch event. And... You know, for better or worse, I think the, the, the match itself can, like, started off in a way that was maybe very familiar and ended in a, in a very different way that felt fun and new and completely uh, unexpected in a lot of ways as to what the ramifications are and how that's going to set everything going forward, as we saw on Raw this week. So once again, anytime the WWE is put on the spot and has a fire lit underneath them, they come through in a big way, and all of a sudden, we have more deep dives to do in every direction as to what might happen next. And I think that that is when the WWE is the most fun to watch. 
And the interesting thing is that the card was only changed about a week ago on Friday night. Prior to that point, it was supposed to be, as you said, the Shield reuniting in the main event against Miz, Cesaro, Sheamus, uh, Braun Strowman, and Kane. The card changes were made late Friday night to Kurt Angle returning to the ring after 11 years and Finn Balor facing AJ Styles. Now, prior to those changes being made, were you excited at all, Tommy, for TLC this past Sunday? And do you think the changes benefited the card on the whole? So, I, I always go into TLC with an open mind because uh, as a WWE fan, my particular fandom revolves more around the uh, the complexities of the wrestling match itself. When you involve a kind of gimmick, whether it's Hell in a Cell, TLC, and you have these additional structures or weapons or uh, uh, objects that kind of drive what the night becomes, it becomes more of a demolition derby. And I think about the guys and girls that put their their bodies on the line for these nights just to show up the very next night and go right back into work when a pay-per-view like Payback or No Mercy has just as much of that urgency on the line for each of those matches without putting people in total harm's way. But that being said, I always watch TLC because I like to see how TLC has evolved from its early incarnations to what it's become as its own standalone pay-per-view and how they continue to reinvent that every year. So for me, this was the perfect kind of TLC scenario where I went from casually interested to, you know, very, very much engaged in all of these different changes that were going on. And it made other matches stand out as highlights for me as well. I mean, you have the demon Finn Balor uh, uh, going up against AJ Styles. I mean, that was just completely uh, out of left field. And then it also put... The Raw's women's champion match, uh, Alexa Bliss versus Nikki James, they had built that up very well since uh, uh, the last pay-per-view. And Nikki James had, uh, like, really convinced me that this was going to be her seventh, it could be her seventh uh, championship win here. Uh, And, you know, she, she is very much a veteran of that scene. So it was very cool to see this whole history that we have with Nikki James and Alexa Bliss kind of being, uh, Alexa kind of, being her uh, bridge into the WWE and Nikki James comes back into prominence and then, you know, eventually turns on Alexa. It's been a long time coming to things like that. Um, also, just to be able to see Asuka debut at TLC, there was a lot of, like, big firsts that I felt was um, uh, really uh, set TLC apart in a lot of ways. But if you're just looking at the match card and who faced off with who and who defeated who, it doesn't really tell a very exciting story the way it really played out. So very interesting uh, matchups that night. Like you said, in a newsworthy night between Kurt Angle being back in the ring, Balor and Styles, Mickey James, and Alexa Bliss having a really good match for the Raw Women's Championship. You also mentioned it right there. Asuka made her in-ring debut on Sunday for the first time on the main roster against them. A 10-minute match, pretty good. Uh, but there was some criticism from some fans that Asuka struggled to put Emma away, which was confusing that although we know Emma is really, really good, I mean, you and I have been praising her for a long time now, dating back to her NXT days, that she really has not been that prominent of a fixture on Raw in recent months. So for Asuka to struggle to beat her was a bit of a questionable move. What were your thoughts coming out of Asuka's debut match, not only at TLC, but also Raw the next night when they faced off in a rematch? Yeah, well, perfect, perfect setup for this. I mean, uh, uh, as... uh, you listeners may have uh, followed some of our past commentary on Oscar and Emma completely separately. We have seen their talents consistently put them into very competitive spots. 
Emma has grown from her NXT days, just like Asuka has grown from her NXT days. And Emma has made a first uh, contact with the main roster much earlier than Asuka did. Obviously, Emma's had some injuries that she's had to battle back from, but she has quickly, and, and, and as proof by going up head-to-head uh, -head against Asuka, has quickly put herself back into match lineups that got her this opportunity. So in my mind, Emma has been in the background while nobody's really probably been paying attention to the, the times where she's been involved in tag matches and the way that she was able to get an edge over some of the more uh, 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 outstanding, if you will, uh, women competitors. She has been slowly but surely beating people in, in a way that got her this opportunity. So I felt it was very much Emma's to take away from Asuka and if it's all about Emma, which she's always saying, it's all about me, then this was her moment to make Oscar's debut about herself. And I thought more than anybody, that's the type of person that is going to go after Oscar. Attention-seeking, self-absorbed narcissists are going to go after somebody that they feel they can knock down a peg, and people want to see Oscar knock down. Her enemies do anyway. I want to see Oscar thrive, as she has proven at TLC, defeating Emma, not in short order either, you know, you want to see Asuka have a real fight. This is not the Goldberg days of, of yesteryear where I just want to see 32-second squash matches. Asuka is a vulnerable person and has her own vulnerabilities, but she overcomes these things and goes into some kind of supersonic, like completely over-the-top energy and viciousness mode that just eclipsed anything Emma had prepared. And, and that was what was clear. So, did Emma stand toe-to-toe -to -toe for a bit here and there? But Asuka was clearly in control and dominating every step of that match throughout the whole thing and could take the whole beating and absorb it like we've talked about before. It's just very difficult to, to figure out what it's going to take to beat Asuka. And now with two back-to-back -back wins at TLC and on Raw the next night, it might be only a matter of time before we see Asuka challenge for the Raw Women's Championship. Now, like you said, Bliss and Mickey are still doing their thing. They had their match on Sunday. Real good match, but it does look like James's sights are still set on the title after what we saw after what we saw in the next night on Raw. Uh, where do you think Asuka kind of factors into the championship picture right now? And do you think we could see a title change between now and Survivor Series, considering, I mean, a lot of the match is currently slated for that show, Baron Corbin and The Miz, Brock Lesnar and Jinder Mahal, Alexa Bliss and Natalya, a lot of heel versus heel matches. Do you think at some point between now and the pay-per-view, we could see either Asuka or Mickie James knock off Alexa for the championship? I mean, so much is possible to knock off Alexa as a champion right now. But the fact is, is that Alexa will use that rematch clause over and over and over and over again. And somehow... In, in those moments, Alexa has been particularly successful, especially either avoiding that or manipulating it after the fact to get a belt back. She is very much endeared in a very, like, Gollum-esque way to, to her precious. Um, but I think that if Asuka is going to be involved in this whole mix and who's she going to, uh, you know, how is she going to be uh, championship material I think it's going to, much like we've seen with other superstars who make the transition from NXT to the main roster, you're going to see Asuka have to go through those same trials all over again. And maybe it's going to start with a new undefeated streak. There's not going to be a title involved in it, obviously. But to get her back to the point where she could be champion, she has to kind of go through that gauntlet of established women superstars 
And I think it's going to to what you saw with Emma, where she, she uh, quote-unquote, put up a, a really great fight. Um, I think you're going to see even more resistance and see a, a little bit more of Oscar's vulnerability because she's stepping into a very established, higher level of competition. So I think uh, it might be a short while before they... Uh, line uh, Oscar up for any kind of title opportunity, but I don't think it's going to be a very long time. You know, she's certainly going to make short order of all of those types of opportunities. And the cool thing about Raw right now is that we get a lot of different, multiple women's stories being told with Oscar coming in and Lexa and Mickey doing their thing over the championship. But lest we forget, Sasha Banks and Bailey also seemingly teasing tension. I feel like we've been talking about this for over a year now, but we got more of that on Monday night with the triple threat match. Alicia Fox emerging victorious, the new team captain for Raw at Survivor Series. Uh, with Banks and Bailey kind of in the background at the moment, do you think we kind of see more tension tease between those two heading into a maybe an eventual match at some point down the road, maybe WrestleMania? I you 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 completely took the words out of my mouth. That is exactly what I think is going to happen. The strongest matches that the women's division have had, in my opinion, have been non-title matches when they have been put on the spot to just go out and be wrestlers. And I think between Sasha and Bailey there is not only the personal attitudes and differences aside in, in how they approach you know, the mentality of their themselves in the WWE and their in-ring performances, but you have two very distinctly different styles. You have two competitors that have gone toe-to-toe with each other and brought out the best and worst in each other. So I think that no matter what, there is something cosmically interesting about those two worlds colliding when they're friends it's always like this, this ball of energy kind of building and feeding off each other. And when that ball keeps building and building, it overloads at some point and you get something very unique that has nothing to do with titles or respect or any of these conventions. Everything gets thrown out the window and you don't know what's going to happen or what depths they're going to reach down to pull out for. Because at the end of the day, whether they're enemies in the moment or on rough terms or whatever it is, they're going to be friends like deep, deep, deep down inside of each other. So they're going to do things to each other that most other competitors wouldn't dream of and still feel like they could probably reestablish a friendship at some point and get away with it, if they, even if they do. We see a lot of this uh, echoes in Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. So it's just going to be this nexus of interesting. And uh, I think if they build something like that between the two of them to WrestleMania, then I can certainly see why each of them will thwart the other's opportunity to get a title belt, which is only going to strengthen the reign of this bliss. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think Alexa Bliss is going to benefit greatly from the two of these uh, uh, competitors going at each other's throats. So if that's where things are headed, then Alexa has uh, an upper hand over some of the other elements of the division, especially with word that Nia Jax and other competitors are no longer going to be involved in these mixes. So, we will see how well Nikki James steps up to the plate with Asuka definitely on her heels. Well, similar to the women, the Cruiserweights played a pretty big role in the TLC pay-per-view as well. They were short on star power, obviously brought in Angle and AJ Styles, but even before that, the Cruiserweights having three separate segments on the show between the Drew Gulak PowerPoint presentation on the kickoff show, we had a a tag team match, as well as the Cruiserweight Championship changing hands in a rematch between Enzo and Kalisto. Uh, What have been your thoughts on how 205 Live has kind of progressed away from the King of the Cruiserweights, the Neville era, to now the Enzo era, now taking back the championship from Kalisto on Sunday? 
Uh, it, it's been surprising to see um, the Cruiserweight title kind of change so many hands. It's very hard to keep track of mm-hmm. where this belt has been. I mean, obviously it sat around the waist of, of uh, uh, Neville, the king of the Cruiserweights, uh, for a the longest period of time. But prior to that, there was a lot of different champions, everyone from Bridge Swan to, you know, like the, the whole history of everything has been uh, uh, set forth with 205 Live going uh, uh, pretty strong right now. With Enzo Amore in the mix, it's definitely changing the, the focus from uh, competition to personal politics. And it's divisive and it's splitting people and it's very boisterous now. And it's all of those things that I think that Neville, uh, despite kind of ruling with an iron fist, had no time for. And therefore, the rest of the division had no time for it. And it was just, you know, very work-driven and performance-driven. And now it's all show. It's all pop. It's it's, all of their uh, divisions. It's no longer just multi-tag matches. It's an us-versus-them kind of mentality. And that's what I think, for better or worse, Enzo Amore is bringing to 205 Live's division. And it's causing people that were kind of in gray areas and that maybe made a couple of questionable decisions. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Noam Dar, you know, who is more personally involved with one-off people. Now now making more, uh, being emboldened by Enzo Amore and standing behind that kind of mentality. And Enzo Amore, since splitting with Cass, has just become nothing but more corrupt, selfish, self-centered, and egotistical about literally everything and every little comment that's said about him. He, you know, he claims that he brushes it off and it's no big deal and everyone's just being a big fugazi and all this other talk, but that's all that it is. It's nervous talk. And and people like Kalisto returning can come in and shove it right down his throat, um, but they're going to start using some of the same underhanded tactics that Enzo Amore uses to win his matches. So does that make anyone better then Enzo, you know, I think that that's kind of what uh, uh, Neville set the bar. He set the bar of how people should perform and act, and people did and acted accordingly, and the show was, like, uh, reaching its peak of performance-level wrestling, and now we have Enzo, and I feel like it's taking it down to, like, that daytime soap opera television, <laughs> you know? Cause mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Enzo continues forward here with Pretty much the ability to put everybody on his bad side. I would completely agree with Enzo. It's it's a complete 180 from what we were seeing from him a few months ago. Since splitting from Cassie, everyone really thought that Cass would be the breakout star. And, and he very likely probably would have been had he still been around and not gotten hurt after SummerSlam. But Enzo's really taking the ball and running with it as Cruiserweight Champion. Uh, He's kind of leading the forefront of the division right now, but also in the division, like we talked about earlier, as I mentioned earlier, the tag team match. Uh, Cedric Alexander, Rich Swan knocking off the Brian Kendrick and Gentleman Jack Gallagher in a really, really good match. A lot more fun than most Cruiserweight matches we see on these pay-per-views. The crowd was into it. These guys were firing in all cylinders. And it looks like Alexander and Swan might be a tag team for the foreseeable future. Now, I know for the past year that the Cruiserweight division has been around, these guys have only really been relegated to 205 Live and working against themselves and working you know, with each other. Do you think it's possible we see Alexander and Swan maybe set their sights in the Raw tag team titles at some point? And would you like to see that? Oh, I think any, any type of cross-pollination between the idea of 205 Live being a separate entity that happens you know, like it's a spotlight on a show, mm-hmm. I think that whole wall needs to get broken down because 
the talent, the quickness, and the speed of uh, Rip Swan and Cedric Alexander is very difficult to top. I mean, it, they have a, a, a very aggressive style, and they're not afraid to be uh, in, in much like the New Day. I mean, if you remove Big E from the New Day, you basically have Cedric Alexander and Rip Swan. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the fact that you already have a template for this, there's already clear examples as to why a team like this with this type of speed, this type of flair, and, you know, I, do they like to show off a little bit? They're showing off their talents, you know, so they're, gonna, they're really going to connect with the crowd in that way. And they feed off of that and bring it into their matches, and they're winners. And that's what happens. And you look at what's happened with Gentleman Jack Gallagher and what has always been part of the poison of Brian Kendrick. But with Jack Gallagher, you know, very much, you know, going in with his business casual attire and Brian Kendrick just being his same sour self, I think that that's always going to relegate them to not being a cohesive team. And that's clearly what happens with those things. Brian Kendrick is always going to be a poisonous part of any team he's part of. So that's not going to last long. But something between Rich Swan and Cedric Alexander, that has legs that could really bond. There seems to be nothing but respect between the two of them. And I would love to see more actual established tag teams come out of 205 Live and go for the gold. You know, and if they don't make, if they can't get the job done there, they go right back into the pipeline of, of working towards those types of things while competing and respecting each other's uh, individual competitors. The, the the levels and layers that you can play around with with all of these things between the 205 Live show, their spotlight on uh, Raw, or you know, however they're they're being kind of like fit into the uh, whole like live televised equation, is. Uh, is it's something that really needs to be explored. And throughout TLC, we had several segments, you know, over the course of the night with Elias attempting to perform, but always being interrupted <laughs> by Jason Jordan throwing produce at him, of all things, ultimately leading to a match right before the main event between the two. Uh, crowd kind of sat on their hands for it, but it was a fun match. They had a rematch on Raw the next night, Jeff Jarrett style. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, you know, uh, esque when Elias knocking the guitar over the head of Jason Jordan. Now, it's been over three months since it was revealed in storyline, of course, that Jason Jordan is the illegitimate son, whatever, of Kurt Angle, the Raw general manager. And it doesn't really seem like he's had that sense of momentum that, you know, that many people thought that he would have. Uh, he's picking up wins here and there, including a TLC. But Elias seems like he's slowly but surely coming into his own as a as one to watch in the Raw roster as well. Now, we haven't really talked about this lately, and I want to get your thoughts on Elias as well, in addition to Jason Jordan, but Elias is one that we've been following since his NXT days, talking about the drifter, and me personally, I was never a big fan of his, but he's come a long way on the main roster as this guy who is performing these musical acts on the pay-per-views, and he's getting the the most audible heat I've heard for anyone in ages. It was incredible. So I want to get your thoughts on both guys, uh, Tommy Sharp, between Jason Jordan and Elias, and where do you see these guys kind of going from here beyond TLC? Uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it, it, is a tra- it is a transformation of, like, a transient, like, loner in Elias, Elias Sampson, however they want to uh, call him these days. But... To see uh, this vagabond kind of make his way from interrupting loosely some things in NXT and coming in, having this kind of very bruiser move set mentality when he's in the ring, uh, going up against someone so athletically charged like Jason Jordan, and to to see Jason Jordan kind of take his status as Kurt Angle's illegitimate son and not 
necessarily always be plugged into main event type level matches and go after somebody like Elias who is really going after the WWE universe is what he's doing. He's he's going out there to uh, promote himself and his way of thinking, his ideology in the way that uh, he puts himself on this pedestal above everybody else. What what you need is what I am. All of this kind of talk of, you know, like, I already see the problem, you were the problem, and you need, you need Elias to help guide you through that. You need to walk with me. It's all very focused on what he's trying to bring out of the WWE universe, and clearly they, they don't want any part of it. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that that man cannot play the guitar, and that is incredible. <laughs> it, is, it is absolutely magical to see Three times in one night, someone come out and try to play a guitar riff that they absolutely cannot play in front of an entire arena of human beings and attempt three times to play the same song and get pretty much as far into it as he did every time. I was just floored at how odd, weird, hysterical, sad, all of those things at once uh, Elias brings to those moments. And then you see him as a competitor, and it's like he really feeds off of that general crowd disappointment that nobody's following him and, and accepting the way that he is, that he takes that out on people like Jason Jordan. Obviously, he did not get a win over Jason Jordan at uh, TLC. Uh, and uh, the following night on Raw, he alluded to the disqualification there. So, like, there's still, you know, Elias is still the fly in the ointment. And he's not only the fly in the ointment for whomever he's facing in the ring, but you can never tell at what point in your night you're going to be subjected to literally the worst singer-songwriter on the face of this planet, Elias. <laughs> he's really been, like I said, he's been both a train wreck and entertaining to watch since his NXT days. He's really grown on me personally, but yeah, just to watch Big how... The, the fact he's had three performances in one night, yet he can't play the guitar a single time is just amazing to me. And they, they took up so much time on the pay-per-view with that. And I say that as a good thing. I think they really made effective use of their time with that. Obviously, for the foreseeable future, Elias and Jason Jordan, they still have that bad blood, as you said, coming off of Monday's Raw, where Elias got himself disqualified, hitting the guitar with the head of Jason Jordan. Uh, with Jason Jordan, it looked like coming out of Clash of Champ, not Clash of Champions, uh, No Mercy from last month, that he still had unfinished business with The Miz and the Intercontinental Championship. Do you see Jason Jordan getting back to that level, or do you think he'll be busy with the likes of Elias and several others for the foreseeable future before he can get built back up to that point? Yeah, I think I think Jason Jordan needs to um, remind people that he's Jason Jordan and not Kurt Angle's uh, estranged son. You know, I think that... It, for Jason to be able to step into the ring and have quality matches and, and be a real competitor against mm-hmm. someone like them is, that showed him that he's got what it takes, and now he's going to earn it the right way and go through the ranks and work his way up to those opportunities. And maybe it takes something like the Royal Rumble to bring out a new side of him. Maybe it takes something like Survivor Series for him to be a more of a standout uh, example of what his future is going to be. But I think it's going to take him getting the WWE Universe on his shoulders and, and elevating him to that status that will make it undeniable for him to be a main event contender. And he, he knows, and just as a product of watching um, American Alpha grow from what they were in NXT to what they became on the main roster, you know, he knows that it's going to take iterations. It's going to take work. It's going to take changes and making new game plans and being adaptive 
And I think that that was the most fun that we had with American Alpha, was seeing them grow and be adaptive and take their losses and gain from them new knowledge of how to beat the people that they're competing with. So I think if, as long as he stays on that path, he'll be undeniably the person to go out in, in, and maybe win the Intercontinental Championship at some point. Well, speaking of Kurt Angle's son, Kurt Angle himself obviously in action on this pay-per-view. Like we discussed earlier, already kind of we already kind of talked about the main event itself. But Angle, I mean, returning for the first time in a WWE ring for over you know for the first time in over a decade in eleven years, having a pretty good performance for a guy that has not wrestled in quite some time. Uh, you know, knocking down Miz, Zaro, Sheamus, Angle slams Galore at the end there, uh, locking in oh, the ankle man. lock, just amazing to watch, and ultimately scoring the victory for his team. Now he did tease on Raw Talk later on the night on the WWE Network, that this might not be the last time we see of Kurt Angle in the ring. Do you believe that? And if so, who would you like to see him face up against in the future and when? Daniel Bryan. Wow, dream match galore right there. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yes, please, I sign mean, me up. I mean, that... Uh, what, what, a, what better message to send to the both of them that, you know, uh, that this whole idea of these mysterious injuries that keep these people off of the main roster or how medical clearance or any of this works is just an absolute load of garbage that they will use at any time to do the exact thing that they want to do or work with people however they want. All of that stuff aside, I mean, and dream matches aside, it certainly seems like it could be possible because Kurt Angle stepping in and making these decisions and trying to work with the Shield and trying to put over Jason Jordan and managing all of these other things. He's, he's already had kind of a personally rocky kind of go as a GM. He's done, he's done a, a, a very serviceable job for the roster and, and making matches and resolving conflicts and all those types of things. But at the end of the day, Daniel Bryan just naturally approaches these things and doesn't have to worry about the personal side. He more or less, Dana Bryan has to watch out for Shane McMahon jumping off the top of a building, you know, then he has to worry about something going on in his personal life that takes him, you know, out so far away from wrestling that he's distracted. So I see Kurt Angle being nothing but distracted as a competitor returning to the ring when he first started, uh, when he first was, uh, uh, jumped in the ring at TLC. Um, he definitely needed to shake the dust off a little bit. He definitely felt like, you know, especially in a match like TLC, was not how I would imagine wanting to see Kurt Angle at all, with a chair in his hand wearing a shield tactical vest, you know? It was just not the Kurt Angle that I would have imagined seeing and being hyped up to return. So I'm still waiting to see the return of the real Kurt Angle. But I'm not sure that he's the same Kurt Angle at all. You know, seeing him... um, go through emotions with the crowd when he comes up with the new suck chant and the, the, the plastic smile like permanently fixed on his face even when he came out with the shield he had a big smile like he loves it. he loves wrestling I dig that I more than love and respect Kurt Angle but the fact of the matter is if he's going to step in the ring with a current competitor uh, he's going to have to bring that that tenant stare that he had when he dumped C- uh, Cesaro into a table after he re-came out and rejoined the PLC match uh, after being uh, injured and taken back for some evaluation, he came out as the Kurt Angle that I remember. And that's pretty much when the whole tide of the match turned. So Angle has every bit of fire and, and grit that it takes to come back returning as, you know, probably the best version of yourself. And that 
I mean, honestly, if they want to make $10 billion in one night, have Daniel Bryan come back and be that as well. And you know, there will not be a better match on any show you'll have for 10 years. I completely agree. Did you see the comments that Daniel Bryan made on uh, on Twitter oh. over the course of the weekend? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much immediately. <laughs> So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I saw that and I laughed. I mean, you never know. I mean, the guy has been, quote-unquote, retired now for a year and a half, but he's probably the only person in this entire company right now that can get away with not only saying stuff like that, but I'm not sure if you heard the report from uh, from a few weeks ago that Jimmy Jacobs, the former Ring of Honor wrestler, he's a creative writer, he got canned from the company. I don't know if it had anything to do with it, but he took a picture with the Bullet Club, and they said that was a factor in his release, whatever. But Daniel Bryan's on Twitter all the time, teasing that he'll go face Bullet Club, he'll join Bullet Club, he'll face Cody Rhodes for the Ring of Honor World Championship all the time. All these, what would typically be huge no-no is for WWE guys on Twitter. Daniel Bryan is breaking those boundaries because it seems like he really wants out of there so he can wrestle again. But that wouldn't be an issue if WWE themselves let him wrestle again. So maybe at some point well, we do I, see... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, like, uh, it, I even remember seeing a, uh, a video post that him and Bree made. It was like some type of Q&A they were doing. Oh, yeah, that, that, like the Periscope or whatever it was. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was a Periscope one, as Daniel Bryan would call it, Tout. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, they, were, they were answering some questions, and it was at the very end, and uh, he was talking about what you know he can and can't do with WWE, and he respects their decisions, but only to like you know a certain extent, and that you know he was definitely uh, more in, had he had Bree's full support to go back into the ring if he wanted to. He had his own you know, clearance and, like, the things that doctors have, like, very much told him that he's nowhere near in danger of these types of things. And whether that's 100% true or not or how many tests can prove this stuff or where the science is to determine what types of damage you could do to yourself, um, he seems to have uh, this mentality and this drive and this peacefulness about it of of going through the process that um, he's now turned into... A, a very he turned this whole situation into a very interesting play for himself because the WWE is basically hedging their bets as I see it that he's not going to leave and he is going to stay with them because the WWE probably can't imagine why he would walk away from that level of organization adoration guaranteed money and you don't have to put your body on the line to do this job it is exactly what they did to Macho Man Randy Savage to be honest with you in the early nineties, he was basically retired. You can't wrestle anymore, mm-hmm. and he went on to wrestle for like literally the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually a great point. I never really thought about it like that. That's a great point. You know, so the fact that they're doing this to basically the Macho Man Randy Savage of the modern era is interesting to me. Like, are, is the WWE conspiracy theory out there that they're afraid of the level of success? <laughs> he could have and he could really steal the show and they, maybe they don't want another Hulk Hogan scenario and maybe they want to grow their Roman Reigns level characters and have people be interested in wrestling characters but when people are doing yes chants at football stadiums that's kind of growing beyond the WWE and all of a sudden WWE takes a back seat to the idea of a you know uh, uh, Daniel Bryan and he becomes like the poster child spokesperson and be all end all everything for wrestling and it changes the direction of how they see the WWE moving. 
that, you know, the, the mentality, the, the, the merchandising, all of these things get taken over because the fans are feeding into it and he is the representative of all of that. So the WWE essentially works for the Daniel Bryan fan base and the Daniel Bryan entity and nothing else. Whereas with Ring of Honor, they're like, please, for the love of God, you come here, we'll literally let you run with any idea that you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. You know? It's like, oh, you want to be against the Bullet Club? Done. You want to be in the Bullet Club? We can make probably make that happen. <laughs> like, where do you want to go with this? Where do you see yourself fitting in? And it's much more collaborative than his speed. He's obviously an ROH alum. There's like just loads and loads of history of him being uh, a competitor around the world. And he has proven time and again that he is happy doing but one thing, and that is wrestling in a wrestling ring. So I think that um, no matter what, before uh, uh, much more time passes, we will see Daniel Bryan back in competition. And hopefully, just the threat of him walking away is enough for WWE to really see the, the writing on the wall and at least make some kind of pitch to say, why don't we put you on the Triple H diet and you can wrestle once a year at WrestleMania. Exactly. I think if Kurt Angle could get cleared to compete, I think Daniel Bryan could too, considering the condition that he was in before he retired or whatever. But I think there we'll definitely see another Daniel Bryan match again, whether it's in WWE or elsewhere. I hope it's in WWE and most likely against Kurt Angle. Because like you said, that is a match I think everyone can agree that we want to see, um, especially on a WrestleMania-level stage. But uh, speaking of TLC, one last thing on, on the pay-per-view from Sunday. We had Finn Balor and AJ Styles, speaking of dream matches, I mean, this match took place with literally two days hype, but it was an incredible match, one of the best bouts we've seen in WWE in some time. Finn Balor, in the end, scoring the victory before being uh, getting too sweeted by AJ Styles after the matchup. So uh, what were your thoughts, Tommy, on this matchup coming about, and what do you see as, next, as being next for both Finn Balor and AJ Styles on their respective shows? Well, it was a bit of a disappointment, uh, not in AJ Styles being the competitor, but in the fact that we lost out on seeing Bray Wyatt and potentially the um, the incarnation or possession of Sister Abigail through Bray Wyatt, um, which I feel very much not only lines up for a great October matchup with you know uh, Halloween just around the corner here, mm-hmm. but also brings out a side of the demon and the supernatural beast that is inside of Finn Balor. Uh, and brings those kind of uh, elements to a new light. And I think that, you know, while we'll probably see this uh, um, reinvigorated over the course of the next few weeks, um, to know that the demon Finn Balor is going up against AJ Styles, a matchup that we have not seen, that the world has not seen, because while Finn Balor and AJ Styles may have fought each other in the past or been on teams together in the past or been in the Bullet Club in the past, the demon is very much a new part of, uh, of Finn Balor's life, and AJ Styles uh, was face-to-face with that. And at the end of the match, like you alluded to, um, Finn Balor starts to retain more of his humanity there and, and goes back to his roots uh, with the Bullet Club and see AJ Styles and Finn Balor kind of pay uh, homage to you know the, the Bullet Club members, new and old, I think is a great way to support uh, all wrestling in general and say that, you know, all, all of this is still very fun and all of this is still very much about respect and hard work. And I think that the two of them proved that through that match. One comment early in the match that really bugged me, I think it was from Michael Cole, and I believe he was asking Corey Graves is, you know, is, is this the level of energy you expected to see tonight here from the two of them? Almost mm-hmm. surprised that 
right from the get-go, they weren't trying to, like, catapult themselves into the fifth row or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, I agree. Mm-hmm. I was just like, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea, like, like how um, amazing it is to watch uh, two of the world's best competitors square off against each other, and you think that they're just going to start off with everything that they can possibly think of and that's in the tank and just burn that energy right then and there? The whole match was a slope of genius. I mean, it was anybody's match at any time. Finn Balor got the edge, and maybe it was the demon that got him over AJ Styles. But clearly, AJ did not have any problem with losing to Finn Balor. He was, he was as close as Finn Balor was to winning. So it was anybody's match, and it came down to how things lined up and who took that extra two steps wherever they did, and it caused someone to be just delayed enough for Finn Balor to line up the coup de gras and it happened within less than like 20 seconds that AJ Styles was thrown into the corner on the ground coup de gras one two three boom Finn Balor pops up before AJ Styles can even catch his breath I mean that's unbelievable chemistry between the two of them to know your opponent so well that you know when you got him and that's what I saw and AJ Styles was inches away from having the same type of one two punch lined up for himself so you know, it probably burns AJ Styles to come to a Raw event and lose and be and, and not be able to, to walk back to SmackDown with that victory in his back pocket. But at the same time, uh, Finn Balor had been, uh, probably had more preparation going into this match um, than AJ Styles did having selected it. I'm sure Finn knew that there was going to be a change well before AJ Styles was tapped to be the one to replace it. You know, and uh, as far as the fans' perspective goes, what an awesome match. That was just so cool. Another huge reason to tune into TLC when I normally wouldn't. It's just absolutely unbelievable. With Finn Balor picking up the victory here, I mean, he's now beaten AJ Styles. He beat Bray Wyatt twice at SummerSlam and at No Mercy. Do you think a shot at the Universal Championship might be in his future? Now, I know Lesnar's locked up for Survivor Series, and I don't know what Balor's going to be doing at that pay-per-view, and his loss to Kane notwithstanding from Raw this past week. Do you think a shot at the Universal Championship might be coming his way, you know, in the near-distant future? He, 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 he should always be and solely be after that Universal title that he lost, basically through no fault of his own. Um, you know, I think that... Um, there, if there's one title that fits Finn Balor like a glove, it's the universal title, and there should be no other pursuit in his mind until he's basically the, the universe tells him that there's not going to be any more opportunity for him there. But I think so long as Braun Strowman is in the mix, so long as Brock Lesnar is in the mix, it's a very uphill battle, and it's going to be something of perseverance that's going to make Finn Balor a universal champion at some point. Um, but uh, uh, actually, I did want to jump real quick because we mentioned Braun Strowman and we're talking about uh, the uh, the big uh, uh, three on five handicap match there mm-hmm. um, was it not just absolutely insane when, uh, when Kane chokeslammed Braun uh, kind of out of nowhere and, and, and turned on Braun with, with reasons that I can totally understand um, and chokeslammed him through uh, the announce area uh, up on the stage there I thought, I was like, what a terrible angle for this. I mean, you got these chairs in the view. Like, I can't hardly see what happened. Yep. Like, that's your, big, that's your big spot. Like, that's it. Like, what is this? Did nobody got this on camera? What are you, what are you doing? Like, I, I was 
like fuming at the WWE production for missing these angles. And then seconds later, I see like 20 plus folding chairs being pulled down by Kane in a string right on top of Ron Strowman. And I'm like, wow, I did not see that coming. And that's why you were in the position that you were in. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. That was crazy. <laughs> that was absolutely like nuts. And, you know, I think that between seeing, uh, you know, a big first kind of like dream match between Demon uh, Finn Bauer and AJ Styles to seeing uh, a, a TLC match that still managed to shock me without someone jumping off the top of the ladder and trying to like kill themselves. I, I was very, very surprised with how uh, each match kind of ended. I think the, the climax of each match was very well designed um, by the performers uh, and what they were striving to accomplish. And, and I think everybody really did hit, the, hit their high watermarks on a lot of this, uh, this pay-per-view. It was really, really refreshing to see. And that was a cool Especially moment. coming up with No Mercy. Too. No Mercy was great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No Mercy was a really good pay-per-view from start to finish, too. And, I mean, like you said, there was Strowman and Keane. That was a cool moment. But what about the murder of Braun Strowman? He was in the garbage truck. He got killed. We didn't see him on Raw the next night. What were your thoughts on that? We did, yeah. We did not talk about the murder of Braun Strowman, which was, uh, you know, like, horrifying. And I was just like, once I saw the the garbage truck uh, man standing next to the truck as people were being loaded in. I'm like, surely they're not going to murder a man on television. <laughs> and then they did. Um, that was uh, that was pretty, as far as things that I've seen the WWE do, that's up there with Vince McMahon's car, uh, uh, limousine exploding. Um, you know, that, I mean, we've seen Braun Strowman knock over an ambulance before. We've seen, you know, like him like, survive some pretty incredible things. But, like, being compressed into the garbage truck that's like some Ninja Turtle stuff right there. I mean, that's like literally what they did to the Shredder. So, um, I, when we see Braun Strowman again, like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's as, as resilient as anything. He's just absolutely out of his mind. And uh, I don't know, what did you think about that, Grant? I thought it, it was so funny, and someone had pointed it out to me, and I could not agree more. It felt like something that we would see in the Attitude Era, and I'm not typically an Attitude Era fan, but I thought that was so perfect with the story that they were yeah. telling with Strowman and Kane from the chairs thing that we were talking about before to now this uh to really I mean otherwise before this pay-per-view if you told me that Braun Strowman and Kane would be going at it, I would have said eh maybe I guess we'll have to see you know where we're going with this but after that angle on Sunday I'm much more excited for a Braun Strowman Kane match if they're willing to kill Braun Strowman I would love to know how far they're willing to go in an actual one-on-one match between the two, and Miz's expression was great. He just wanted to get Strowman out of there so they could win the match. I thought it was just, uh, I, I thought it was pure perfection. Really, I mean, it, it, there was a long lull there from the whole dumpster thing, and uh, Ambrose and Rollins were out for like 20 minutes while all of this was happening. But beyond that, I thought it was a, a really cool moment, though. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it really was. Everything lined up in, in such an interesting way. It really brought out a lot from uh, Kane to see that those moments of disbelief, like a chokeslam didn't do it, dropping 20 chairs on you didn't do it, trying to kill you might not do it, like what's it going to take here? And is Kane uh, avenging The Undertaker? Is that what this is about? Is Kane uh, trying to uh, prove to himself in the WWE universe that there's only one real monster in the WWE and it's always been and always will be Kane? You know, is, is Kane starting to believe his own psychosis and hype? 
He's not sure. But Braun Strowman believes in one thing, and it is destruction. It is very apparent. He is the doomsday of the WWE. And uh, Kane definitely looked rattled by that fact. So I really don't see Kane benefiting or, or, or things going well for him in this regard. But, uh, you know, time will tell. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what Kane's real motives are here for, for wanting to, you know, basically poke the bear, if you will. I guess we'll find out in due time. And also something to look forward to, Braun Strowman being back. Because every single time he resurfaces on Raw, whether it's to target Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar or whoever, the guy always has havoc and destruction in mind. So whenever he's back, whether it's next week, next month, whatever, it's it's going to be a sight to see. But uh, speaking of Raw, though, we do have to talk about this. So you talked about earlier about how AJ Styles, a SmackDown superstar, appearing on a Raw pay-per-view as a favorite of Raw, as we were told, to uh, Raw GM Kurt Angle. But then he showed up on Raw the next night competing in the six-man tag team match with Ambrose and Rollins against Miz, Cesaro, and Sheamus. Now, we saw Styles there. He resurfaced later on the night as part of the SmackDown Live invasion, which has elicited a polarizing response from the WWE Universe. There were a lot of people that liked it, a lot of people that didn't really like it. Uh, The execution was something that we would see from the NWO 15 years ago. But what, uh, which was great. I thought, you know, Chad Gable targeting Jason Jordan was awesome. Great storytelling there and some other little things they did. But uh, the whole Raw and SmackDown feud coming up in time for Survivor Series, which we saw last year as well, which is fine. But it really feels, to me anyway, forced that uh, the whole Raw, SmackDown, Bad Blood, that we really haven't seen too much of it in the last couple of months. And all of a sudden, just because it's Survivor Series time. They're attacking each other, they're on each other's shows, despite the fact that if they were really rivals, would Daniel Bryan have let Kurt Angle, you know, take AJ Styles for the night? Like, that's my question here. So I want to get your thoughts on the invasion that we saw at the end of Raw. Were you a fan of it? Were you not a fan of it? And where is your excitement level heading into Survivor Series? Well, I mean, some of it, I'm a fan of all the elements I'm sure that you're a fan of. And I think the force-fed nature of how they set up and start doing some of these things is clearly meant to capture their video packages so that they can tell us grand edited story of how this all came together later. Mm-hmm. But the WWE has been uh, somewhat obsessed with the invasion idea, the under siege, as they're calling it. Um, you know, that Raw is under siege by, like, what, an inferior brand run <laughs> by Shane McMahon and some of the best superstars of all time. Mm-hmm. And they come down, like, in uniform, like, down the aisles, and it's supposed to be a big surprise that, like, all of these people were just in the building all wearing the same shirt walking down together. <laughs> I mean, that, like, if, if they came from literally every angle and, and one or two superstars came down the ramp and the camera couldn't figure out where they were all coming from, mm-hmm. that would feel under siege. Yep. To see them led into the ring by Shane McMahon, I was like, this is all very like choreographed, especially if Shane's involved, very much driven and choreographed by Shane. And then, you know, to, to see Shane standing in the raw ring, it was more of like a business decision. It's just like, yeah, Shane can be here. You're Shane McMahon. Why couldn't you be here? And you brought all these people with you. And, you know, they came into the back room, and SmackDown was just intimidating people that they normally wouldn't need to intimidate. I mean, they went right after uh, uh, Titus for seemingly no reason. And Titus was beaten up by, like, all of SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? It was, it was crazy. like... It, it, there was there was a lot going on there. 
I mean, in Gold Dust was involved. Um, you had uh, uh, like who else was involved in that? Uh, Apollo uh, Cruz, you know. Gold uh, Dust. There was um, Kurt Hawkins, maybe I don't remember exactly. Kurt Hawkins. Oh yeah, Kurt Hawkins. Yeah, <laughs> and they were literally beating up on like people that weren't even out in Washington that night. You know, they were just yeah. kind of walking in the locker rooms. Uh, just going after people who are sitting down. I mean, is this really what we see on SmackDown? We mm, see a lot exactly. of just gang mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I don't believe so. You know, I don't understand why the Survivor Series is now about like hostile takeovers and and like completely unbalanced beatdowns. You know, there was no representation. You know, you have uh, the hype rose pretty much up front. And, uh, you know, you have uh, uh, the New Day out there, and they step step aside, and and, uh, and everybody starts going after um, uh, Sasha Banks and the Raw Women's roster, and it's like, yeah, you know, earn, everybody's got their, um, you know, their moment where they, they met the next superstar, and everyone we've seen, and Ambrose and Rollins, you know, are kind of waiting in the shadows for them because they know it's coming, but they're totally outnumbered. I mean, all, all of these things, while it, it was made to feel like it was urgent and, like, unpredictable, I mean, they, they were just predictably walking through the locker room and beating everyone up. I mean, as a gang, you can do that. Yeah. So I don't see how it makes, you know, I guess my preference has always been for SmackDown. Mm-hmm. I love their roster. I love the way they present the show. They make weird decisions sometimes, but like they're somewhat unpredictable decisions. And this felt a little bit odd for a lot of these characters to basically all of them turn heel against people that we like. <laughs> yeah, that's basically that what this was. No yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't quite get why they would bring Kurt Angle all the way arm in arm back to the ring. Why Kofi Kingston would support the actions of Baron Corbin, why Dolph Ziggler would support the actions of literally anyone or wear a SmackDown Mm t-shirt. You know, like, so many of these decisions seeing, you know, like uh, Rusev out there doing stuff. It it just, it was just like, why, uh, what is the common thread? Literally every Tuesday you all hate each other. So now you're gonna like be on the same team just because Shane said put this shirt on and go down to the ring with me, beat everybody up. That was my biggest issue with it, yeah. I don't know. That was was another thing that I really did not like about this, was that you see, I mean, I know Ziggler had attempted it to, like, explain it to someone on Twitter who had called him out on it, but it's like you see Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, who have been at each other's throats for the past month now, now standing side by side because they found a common cause in attacking Raw, but the very next night they're agreeing to a two out of three falls match. Like, that's what I find very bizarre about this. And as fans, I mean, like you said, I'm a big SmackDown fan too. But who are we supposed to cheer for in all of this? SmackDown came across here as the heels, so does that mean we're supposed to cheer for Raw here? And Brock, Le- Brock Lesnar was nowhere to be seen. He probably took off as soon as his, sma- as soon as his segment was over. But if they really wanted to send a statement, they really want to send a message, you attack the big guys. I mean, Ambrose and Rollins, they got him, but... They didn't go after Brock Lesnar. Like, if you really want to send a message, you attack the Universal Champion. But it was uh, really yeah. oddly laid out. Just, yeah, just, it, 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 it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Obviously, there's going to be a response from Raw. 
um, uh, which will probably be equal, if not double, the kind of force that uh, SmackDown brought to things. And we'll see how Raw uh, presents himself. But I kind of expect the Raw roster to present themselves as brutish and like completely underhanded. Like you always hear about SmackDown being the underdog, but you got to ride that line of respect at least, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it, it it is already kicked off in the Survivor Series season, so uh, good things can only happen from there. Um, Graham, I am down to my final minutes of being available. Uh, do we want to jump to any final thoughts you have? I do. I was going to say this one final topic before we wrap it up. Uh, what I liked about the invasion was that Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens were not a part of giving their bad blood with Shane. And now we've been praising this for weeks. Now Sami Zayn's heel turn. Tommy Sharp, your thoughts? Uh, uh, Sami Zayn's transition. Oh my gosh! I mean, um, uh, the I didn't realize how validated I would feel after listening to the way that Sammy described all of these things and the way that things have lined up. And and I never would have like totally anticipated him truly lining up with the morals of Kevin Owens very directly. But you can't change something. Their friendship is rooted in some very deep and thoughtful and emotionally kind of off-kilter places. And Sami Zayn's coming from that realization of like, hey, you know, this is actually kind of who I've always been, and I tried to do it differently here, and clearly that's not going around as appreciated. So why would I continue trying to bang my head against the wall and move this boulder up a mountain when I do not have to and I never did? And now he's coming around to that realization, even without Kevin Owens there, he, that doesn't change his moral code anymore. Now that he's uh, evolved or de-evolved, however you want to look at it, into the person that he is now, it seems much more accurate to Sami Zayn. You could always see that when he went out there as Sami Zayn, the punk rock hype machine, uh, fighting for peace, justice, and like the world's way. You know, like I think that um, even he had a hard time finding followers that would believe in him specifically to do that. But when Sami Zayn wants to go out and get something done, he can do that all day, every day. So why not just focus on that? He's yeah. made a ton of accomplishments. Personally, he set up uh, medical, reef, uh, medical relief uh, vehicles and, and support for Syrian uh, groups and, and towns and villages and things like that. Mm-hmm. He's done all of the hard legwork it takes to, to feel validated as a good person. So why not now go into your job and look for what, you're, what you can bring out of yourself? And I think this is exactly where he is. It's hard to argue with him. It's hard to argue with the way he's approaching all this stuff. It's hard to argue with the fact that, you know, uh, people have not been as supportive of him like he said they needed to be. You know, they took Daniel Bryan, they picked him, they selected him, and they made sure that he was never not part of the main things going on in WWE and who's done that for Sami Zayn? Absolutely no one, except for Kevin Owens when they were put into a feud against each other. That's exactly it. It's been so fantastic to follow the whole evolution, like you said, of Sami Zayn has been so well done up to this point. We've barely scratched the surface here today in terms of Raw Smacked, and we talked a lot about TLC. Certainly not the last time we will talk, Tommy. Always a blast, though. Thanks for coming on the show, dude. Brent, it is a sincere pleasure to be able to do this with you anytime. You are like my number one source of being inspired by following all of these very strange details that we keep track of. But you know what? <laughs> After doing WrestleRant for, I can't even imagine how many episodes we've done together, to be able to continue working together and, and sharing our thoughts, our ideas, and, and how this whole process works, Graham, you are truly 
a, a, a dear friend and a fantastic collaborator. You're my tag partner in all of this wrestling, and uh, I couldn't be happier to be by your side supporting you, my friend. So thank you for having me on. Thanks, brother. We are the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn of the Airways. We will certainly reunite at some point in the near future. I'll let you go, my man. Have a good one. I'll catch you down the road. Get to talk forever. <laughs> See you, brother. Oh, man, I love it. Well, thanks to Tommy Sharp for coming here on the show. Long overdue. His first appearance here on WrestleRant Radio since the month of May. So over five months overdue. But he's back here on WrestleRant Radio. Certainly not the last time you'll hear of Tommy Sharp here on the show. He'll be back at some point to talk all things WWE and beyond. Um, but speaking of which, you guys can listen to old episodes of WrestleRant Radio with Tommy and myself, RJ and myself, just myself, from the past six months, last year, 2015, 2014, even the early episodes from 2013, which aren't that good, but you can still check them out, though, on iTunes. Just search up WrestleRant Radio in the podcast app store, iTunes, whatever. All episodes of WrestleRant Radio will be available by next week, but as of right now, as of this recording, you can listen to the first three and a half years of the show, including most episodes I did with Tommy late last year and earlier this year as well. All great content. Check it out on iTunes by simply searching up WrestleRant Radio. That being said, guys, we'll be back next Thursday with another exclusive interview with College Humor Zone and ex-College Humor writer and star of the new show Hot Date on Pop TV. We got Brian Murphy. The guy's hilarious, and he's a wrestling fan too, which is why I'm sharing our interview who had a WrestleRant Radio next Thursday. Had the show's debut the following Wednesday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Yes, the same time as NXT, but we talk about reasons why you guys should tune in to Hot Date over NXT on the WWE Network. So, great stuff coming next week. In the meantime, in the between time, guys, you can follow me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. Like I said, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday right here on both NextDayWrestling.net and on iTunes. Again, the last, the last six months of the show and new episodes of WrestleRant Radio will be available immediately on iTunes soon enough starting next week. I uploaded too much content at one time, so thanks to Podbean for that. But beyond, I think the end of the month is what they told me. I will be able to upload more episodes, including the last six months of the show and every new episode going forward um, right on iTunes. So you can just, it'll download immediately right on the app, which is great. You don't have to press a single button, making it easier than ever to listen to WrestleRant Radio. All that being said, guys, enjoy Halloween next Tuesday. I'm Graham Gius and Matthews. Have an awesome rest of your weekend, and I'll catch your ass down the road.